Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise your holy name. We give you all the glory. Be exalted in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask that accept our worship in Jesus' name. And we ask that, Lord, even as we dive into your word, that you would lead us by yourself, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, come and teach your people. Father, I'm simply a vessel, simply a vehicle for your word. Father, I ask that your people are touched by your word in the name of Jesus. Father, help me to be worthy. Help me to be truthful. Help me to be direct in all that it is that I would say today from this altar. That, Lord, I would not speak lies to your children in the name of Jesus. And Father, Lord God, I pray that when we live here, that, Lord, we would not be the same as we when we came in in the name of Jesus. For it is in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. We, we praise God for another Sunday. It is by his grace that we are here today, not by our power, not by our might. Today we're going to be continuing with a theme that we started with last week, which is imitators of God. Imitators of God. And last week we were taken by our mommy who taught us about being imitators of God in character. And we learned a bunch of things. And one of the key takeaways, for me at least, was understanding how imitation is, in fact, the greatest form of love and um, reverence. Learning that if we're going to revere God, or we're going to fear him, or we're going to love him in any way, then imitation is the best thing that we have. Because when you think about it, what can we actually give to God? Can't give him money. Can't give him gifts. There is a common, you know, there's a common trope where they talk about how if your girlfriend or your wife is upset or angry with you, you know, give her money or give her food and everything will be fine. You know, for some it's money. If you give them money, then no problem at all. Some, if you feed them, just, oh, here, have, have a chocolate or have a this or have a that, they, suddenly everything that was obsessing them suddenly just flies out the window and you guys are buddy-buddy again. But we can't treat God as a girlfriend. Can't give him anything, really. We can't buy him an expensive necklace and say, oh, Lord, I know you're upset, but here, have a necklace. That doesn't work. And so the only thing we can really do is imitate him, obey him, move closer to be like him. Our text today is going to be one that we are quite familiar with. It's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. We'll be reading from verse 6 to verse 9. Verse 6 to verse 9, Isaiah, chapter 55. The Bible says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. Today we are going to be talking about the topic that this is called Imitators of God in Thought. So essentially we are asking ourselves how can we be like God in our thoughts. But the first thing I think I need us to understand and the sort of, well, I call it a rhetorical question, but one to think about is like, does God have thoughts? Does God think? Now, by saying that to you, the very first thing I'll come to mind is, sure, of course it does. I mean, you just read that my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. So obviously, God thinks and God has thoughts and so on and so forth. However, what we must also understand is we must see that by virtue of God being God and by virtue of his thoughts not being our thoughts, then that means that God cannot think in the way in which we consider what thoughts are. So, when you think of a thought, when you think of what a thought means, the first thing that comes to your mind is an idea, an opinion. An idea or an opinion. If you check the dictionary, they also put it along in that sense. And if you think of what that idea conveys, what you get is something to work through. So if you were to tell me something, if you were to give me a piece of information, I am to digest it, I am to think about it, and then at the end of that, I have an opinion or an idea. So if you come to me and you tell me today and you say, well, the president has decided to widen the tax um, net so that everyone is supposed to pay, you know, they want more people to pay taxes. If you give me that, I, if you give me that information, then what, I'm, what I would do generally first is I, I work through it. I'm like, oh, okay, what are the pros and cons? Does this make sense? What does that mean? How is that supposed to? And I go through it, through it, and then I have an opinion. So I can come out and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Or no, that does not make any sense. Like, do we understand that? Like, that's something we can go through. But here's the thing with God. Because God is honoring, that means that God does not work through that process. That means that God does not have thoughts in the way in which we know thoughts to be. Because when you think of a thought, having a thought means working from the known to the unknown. So at the time you're given an idea, maybe you know it because you know that information. Even if it's a formula that you're supposed to solve. So you think through the formula, isn't it? You have the information, you start putting two and two together. Oh, this, I put this on this, I put this on this. This comes together. And then from there you work towards something you previously did not know. So you had an you, you get a piece of information and then you work your way to an answer that you're like, oh, okay, I wasn't thinking about that five minutes ago. And now I know it and I have a thought. But you see, because God is all-knowing, we cannot put that same thing with God because God is not working through anything. Because God does not have ideas as we think of it in that God has already known all things. But there was never a time where God did not know how to do something. There was a time when I couldn't speak in public. I couldn't debate. But then, when I entered into secondary school in GS1, my guardian at the time picked me up and said, okay, this boy seems to 
be able to speak well. So let him start debating. And so I joined the debate club. And then I started to talk and all of that. And then after a while, I became a lot more comfortable speaking in front of people. But there was a time I did not have that skill. And then there was a time I now have it. However, God is not like that. So there is no, oh, there was a time God did not understand how to code. And then now, because of study and everything, God now understands how to code. No. God has always known how to code. Because there is nothing new that you are presenting to him. The reason I am bringing out this very thing first is so that we understand what it means for us when we are to think like God. For us to understand the continual nature of imitating God in thought. It is a process just as much as thinking is a process. So when we think, we are going through a process from a known to an unknown. And when we want to be imitators of God in his thoughts, then we also understand that there is a process. And that's why the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, let's turn there. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, tells us, says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. So we see here that the word used there, renewing, it was supposed to be continual. So something that continues, a process that keeps on going. And when we think about being imitators of God, that is the same process that we are talking about. Something that we start, continues, and it just continues on and on, at least as long as we are on this earth. So, Isaiah 55, we've already read from verse 6 to verse 9. We're going to go back to verse 7. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If we read Isaiah 55 verse 1, it talks about how those who thirst should come and take the waters of God collect, receive, and obtain wisdom from the Lord. But the next thing that we have to go, or we have to understand, or we have to talk about, is the identity of this wicked people. Because it says that, let the wicked abandon his thoughts and his ways. So just as God's thoughts and ways are higher, so the wicked man is also supposed to abandon the thoughts and ways in which he has, and then come to the Lord. So who are these wicked now, obviously, first thing that will come to your mind is, oh, well, sure, those that don't believe. They're unbelievers, they're wicked people, so, you know, let them all come to the Lord. And you're not wrong. However, we must understand that that is where we all started. You see, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it talks about how all have sinned and have come short of God's glory. So, when we talk about the wicked then we have to understand that that is where we're moving from to something else. 
The reason why this is important is so we understand that our thoughts, by their very essence, cannot be neutral. Because they're not neutral. Now, you may look at me and be like, ah, what do you mean? So if I just think of what I want to eat this afternoon, which for all intents and purposes is a neutral thought, like um, it's, not, it's not good or bad or you know, it doesn't have any moral leanings or whatever, then what does that mean? But what I'm trying to explain here is that ultimately, our thoughts are part of a disposition that we have towards one way or the other, whatever it is that is inside. There's a difference between having good thoughts and having positive thoughts. Everyone has positive thoughts. Anybody can have their positive thoughts. I mean, if you say, oh, I want to get a new car, or oh, I want to progress in my job, I want to do something else and everything, for all intents and purposes, that's a positive thought. You're not being, you know, you're not being negative. You're being positive. But is it good? Therein lies the problem. Because when Jesus was asked, he said that there is no good but God. So, when we see that, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, like I said, all I've seen and I've come short of the glory of God. Let us turn there and also read verse 10 and verse, verse 10 to verse 12. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 to verse 12. Can someone read for us? Alexa wants to read that. Chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is no righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Amen. Amen. Do we see that? It says that. All of them have gone their own way. It's not as if they're this set of people who have, who have borrowed themselves bring. But everyone has gone their own way. No one is seeking the Lord. None is righteous. No, not one. And neither are we. Because our righteousness is imputed from the Lord. We don't have any of our own. Therefore, we then understand that any thought that is not following the will of God automatically becomes evil because there's no middle ground. The difference is this. If I have a positive or if I have a, what I'll call a neutral thought, if you as the believer, if you as a believer were to have a neutral thought now and to say, oh, I want to eat so so and so because I guess we can all agree that's a neutral thought. Unless you want to eat an abomination. But we can all agree that that's a neutral thought. The difference between the believer and the unbeliever is that while I am thinking about food, or while you are thinking about food, it is under the canopy and on the platform of understanding that God provides all things. And therefore, even when you are going to have your meal, it is with that understanding and awareness that God has provided this meal for me to eat. Therefore, you can already see that your thinking is different from the person who says, oh, make, let me walk. <laughs> and then just says, I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to get it done. 
that is what it, that is where that fine line starts to come in between when we say that there is a good thought and there is one that is of the wicked the wicked living their ways and the wicked living their thoughts and we are being encouraged here to move from one to the other the book of first john chapter 5 verse 19 if we can get there also read that briefly First John chapter 5, verse 19, and it says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. It not say part of the world, it not say some of the world, it not say a huge chunk of the world, it said the whole world lieth in wickedness. But like I said earlier, what, div- what divides us from the whole world? And what the verse said earlier, which said that we know we are of God, is belief in God, is imbibing who and what God is into our lives. And therein lies the difference. Nothing else. Therein lies the difference. So, this is different from having a, because there are people who have positive thoughts. They are the philanthropists who give their money away. You'll be like, oh, that, but that's a good person. He's having positive thoughts. But what is that rooted in? More often than not, it's self-recognition. More often than not, is because of a feeling of, let me have a legacy. Let me have a legacy. There's a self-centeredness around it. There's a self-centricness around that. That makes it problematic. Now, all of this in which I am saying, is this is not the message of condemnation. This is not a message of, oh, we're all sinners. All of sinners shall come short of the glory of God. Oh, we are terrible. We are this, we are that. No. But it's one of need. It's one of us understanding what we need and who we need. If you read, let's turn to, again to um, Isaiah 55 and read verse 3. What does it say there? Can someone read for us? Isaiah 55, verse 3. Someone else can turn to Amos chapter 5, verse 4. Isaiah, Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Amen. So we read Amos chapter 5, verse 4. Amos 5, 4 says, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Amen. Amen. I like how short and clear it is. Seek me and live. The entire, everything I said beforehand is so that we understand our utter helplessness. When it comes to this matter, our utter helplessness when it comes to trying to imitate God in any way, we cannot imitate God by ourselves. We don't have the ability because ultimately we are not good. We're incapable of good thoughts by ourselves because ultimately we're hardwired. We're hardwired for selfishness and evil. Recently, we read, um, we've been going through the book of Genesis at home recently, and we read chapter. 
2, chapter 3, and then we were reading chapter 4, uh, where we had the first murder, and Cain killed Abel. And you see that before that, what happened, both of them presented a sacrifice towards God. And I remember asking the question, like, huh, how did they even know that that was the right thing to do? And I'm like, oh, well, it's interesting. It means that their father had said something to them, and they had an understanding. But you see, one sacrifice was regarded, and the other one was not regarded. As the human being who does not have the eye of God, I don't see anything there. When I was younger, we used to have this idea, and I think, I think that's the fourth of my book of Bible stories. I, I blame them completely and utterly. But there was this idea that Cain's sacrifice was some wilted vegetables, you know, that Cain, Cain came to God and was like, oh Lord, he had these dead, you know, plants, have this, you know, rotten carrots, have this rotten tomatoes, and all of this, so Lord, just have this, and this is what is for you, and God's like, you, I don't want that. And then we think to ourselves that, you know, Abel instead brought this amazing lamb and said, Lord, here, and ah, here, that's better. But the more I understood, the more I realized that it wasn't because Cain brought, you know, wilted fruits. No, they probably looked great. But there was something in his heart that God could see that there was a problem with. God, Cain was trying to do it by himself. She be, this is what God wants. We are a bad gentleman. me. As you're about to say, like, take, let me rest. Just take, let me rest. And God could say through that, and he rejected what Cain had to offer. Shows that as human beings, without God, we're already hardwired for selfishness. Because on the surface, what Cain did was admirable. Yes, he took part of his food, his hard-end soil. This was after God had crossed the ground door. It's not before. So it's not as if the floor is just yielding anyhow for them. No. God had crushed the soil. So he had sweat. And he brought the fruit of the sweat to God. But God rejected it. And part of it was simply because King was acting in his own power. King was trying to do this thing. Now, please go and say, let me just do it somehow. Let me just do it, Shah, myself. Because ultimately, we can't quell the evil heart. Not by ourselves, it's by the grace of God. So what are some of these hallmarks of the thoughts that God has? If we've come to understand that God does not think the way we, can, we even understand or can conceive of what thinking is, we understand that without him, our thoughts are by necessity evil, then what are the, kind of, what are the hallmarks of the kind of thoughts that God has? There are two that um, that are very quite clear. One is selflessness, and the other is goodwill. Selflessness and goodwill. One of the main things that characterizes the thinking of God is the selflessness of them. God's thoughts towards us are of good and not evil. His thoughts are for our good. His actions are for our good. Even when we hear, and it is quite true, that God does everything for himself. On the surface, you might listen to that and be like, that's a selfish God, isn't it? But no, it is for your good. Let us turn to the book of Job, chapter 35. Job 
Job the chapter 35. I'll read from verse 1 to verse 7. The Bible says, Elihu spake moreover and said, Thinkest thou this to be right, that thou sayest, My righteousness is more than God's? For thou sayest, What advantage will it be unto thee? And what profit shall I have if I be cleansed from my sin? I will answer thee, and thy companions with thee. Look unto the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. Verse 6, if thou sinnest, what doest thou against him? Or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Amen. First time I read this, I was... Why? Because essentially it made me realize something. Your good or your bad does not do anything to God. Whether you do evil, if you do all the evil in this life, you commit genocide and you kill whole nations, it doesn't take anything away from God. Absolutely nothing. On the other hand, if you're the biggest philanthropist and you single-handedly end world hunger, that is by your hand, it's you that did it. Because I've, I've, seen, I've seen some of those statistics. If only the rich would give away 1% of their wealth and to see world hunger will end. And I don't disagree, but let's say someone took it on upon himself and say, I will end world hunger and then ends it. That righteousness does not do anything for God doesn't do a single thing. It is for you and me. It is your fellow human being that affects. So when we think about it in the thoughts of God, when God says, do this, do this, do this, do this, I want you to do this, this is my command to you, this is my word to you, this is what I say to you, then we must understand that it's not because we are doing him a favor. His thinking towards us is selfless. It is for our good. And if we are to imitate God, we also have to start thinking along those lines. If we key ourselves to how God thinks, then we too, our thinking will be selfless. Because when we start thinking of the kingdom of God, then we start thinking outside of ourselves. And then we start thinking about the things that he wants. And the second one that we talked about was goodwill. God has goodwill towards us. The Bible tells us in the book of Jeremiah, it says that my thoughts towards you are of good, not of evil. God's thoughts towards each and every one of us is good. He doesn't have evil thoughts towards us. We can't say, we can't say the same for every individual. Or even believers. So sometimes we have to ask ourselves, do we have, do we have thoughts of goodwill towards everyone? And if we ask that as an honest question, may be a lot more difficult to answer. Because when we look at the world around us and how people treat one another, how people are, you start asking yourself, ah, this one's safe. Let's see if we won't just be going. Thoughts of goodwill towards each and every one of us. And so how can we be like God in his thinking? We've already mentioned it. Having imbibing his selflessness, 
in our thinking and imbibing his goodwill in our thinking. So do unto others what is good. And how can we go about imbibing this? It's still the same things that we say all the time. It's by spending time with his word. Spending time with him. Only then can we really start to imbibe and start to think like him. The only way you can imitate anybody spending time with them. Sometimes I find it so fascinating. I think there's a, there's a comedian, I think his name is Aries Spears or something, and there are a couple of others who their main job in life is to mimic celebrities. So you'll say, oh, 15 celebrity voices in two minutes. I don't know if you've seen those kind of videos. And a person will do a line of dialogue and it will sound exactly like one celebrity. Do you think that was possible without hours and hours of watching said celebrities speak? That's the only way you could mimic. That's the only way you could, you know, imbibe and be like, okay, I can speak like this. So can we think like God if we don't spend ages and ages with him? Spending time with God. Intentionally. It does so much. Sometimes we think that this imitation thing because when you think, ah, imitating God in thought, okay, so let me, when I sit down, I'll just, then there's no difference between you and the meditating individual. Positive thoughts, positive thoughts, positive thoughts, positive thoughts, positive thoughts. When we are saturated by God's word, it becomes easier to think like him. You don't have to force yourself to do it. One of the more interesting things that I saw happen in this church a little um, over the last two years or so, there was, a, there was a time when Pastor Billy would speak and when he says uh, something is, he would change his accent slightly. So he would say something like, it really is. It really is. And next thing I knew, there was a teaching that Sister Kathy was taking and then she went, it really is. And I said, oh, okay. I, I can see that there's something there. And I also noticed another thing. I noticed that there are a lot of people in this church that started using the word dodgy a lot more. And I was wondering to myself, huh, how did that happen? Spending time. It's as simple as that. Spend time. Spend time with Pastor Billy. And he starts to hear certain things. Before you know what's going on, he imbibed it. It's the same thing with God. If you're going to think like him, then we must spend time with him. We must spend time in his word. We must spend time fellowshipping. We must spend time communicating with him in our place of prayer. Because only then can we start to imbibe what he is. This thing is not rocket science. We can't force it. If we try to, we will fail. And the only way it's going to come naturally is as it just continues to. Diffusion, I believe. Is that diffusion or osmosis? Diffusion, okay. So from a place of uh, lower concentration to higher concentration, yes? Okay, okay, fair enough. So, we imbibe. We imbibe who God is. And it's intentional. Because the truth of the matter is that you are going to think the most about the things you spend the most time on. If I were to ask a lot of us here, what are we thinking about? Part of it is going to be work. That's true. Because I know that for one person... And I can, if I was a betting man, I would make a fair, you know, idea that one or two other people are also, they have work on their mind. 
Why? Because you spend a lot of time with it. And not only do you spend a lot of time with it, you actively participate, with, participate in it. So it's not simply being surrounded by it. You could be surrounded by something and not take any part in it. You can be surrounded by, that's where you find people who just go to church for the sake of it. So you can be surrounded by church, by scripture, by the word of God, by everything. But if you don't partake of it, you just be there. You know all the stories, but, but active participation. It's because you actively participate in work. That's why, that's why it's being on your mind. That's why it's being your thinking. And it's the same thing with the things of God. You know, when, we act, when we spend the time and we actively partake of it, and then we find ourselves thinking about him, thinking about his things, because those will then be the things that are most important to us. Those will be the things that are most important to us. I'm going to close by saying this Isaiah 55 says that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And so as my thoughts uh, are my thoughts than your thoughts. The reason why God wants us or God asked the people of Israel to abandon, or the wicked man to abandon his thoughts and his ways and take off the water of God's word is so that we may live. And because his ways are infinitely higher and infinitely better. The reason why we want to think like God is because it is objectively the best way. There is nothing else that beats it. There is no other type of thinking. There is no other direction of thinking that beats what God thinks. Or his thoughts towards us. And like I said earlier, it's a continuous process. It's a continuous process. God is predisposed towards good. And so if we're going to be like him, then we have to continue. Continue in his word. Soak ourselves in it. Continue in prayer. Continue in fellowship. Constant fellowship. And then... Can we say that we'll be able to imbibe the character of God and we can start saying that we'll think like him? That's the practical way. It's the only practical way. Because you'll be like, how can I think like God? It's simple. Continue to spend time with him. Continue to read the word. Continue to take out that time and read God's word. When Stadio was singing, said Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noon time, Jesus when the sun goes down, praise him. Same thing with the word and prayer. In the morning, in the noon time when the sun goes down. That's what God told the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. When he said that um, Lord your God, um, hear always Lord, the Lord your God is one, you shall love him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Taking all of his word when you are sitting down, when you are standing, when you are walking, when you are resting, in the morning, in the evening, I'm paraphrasing, write it on your head to the point whereby the Jews started to actually literally put it on their head. So it was something they call a phylacteries, whereby it was this little scroll that they just put in their head covering. They just put it there. It was God's word. And usually that verse, they put it, just put it there. So they literally put it on their heads. I don't think it's a bad thing. <laughs> but that's the point. God actually wants us. And if there's one amazing thing about God's word, 
It is the one thing I know in this life that I cannot hold you on. It's the one thing. You can't hold you on it. Overdose. That's what I mean. You can, you can overdose on everything else. If you eat so much food, <laughs> if you drink too much water, <laughs> if you take too much, if you indulge too much in anything, when you say that God's word, nah. Nah. And that's what's so amazing about it. And I pray that the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Let us rise.